What's going on, people? George Savidis here, the host of the Hip Hop Orchestra Presents podcast. Now, before we get started in today's wicked episode with a fantastic guest in Dr. Joe Taylor, I want to introduce you guys to a brand new podcast of mine called Keep It 30. Now, Keep It 30 is a brand new podcast specifically aimed for schools and the classroom. And the reason why I created it was I wanted to go into schools and talk to the students directly to talk about things like mental health, to creativity, future ambitions, life skills, and so much more. And, you know, get their feedback on so many stories as well. And as of this episode right here, there's already five episodes for you to listen to on all major platforms. So please check that out as soon as you can, because what we've spoken about and what's available from that podcast is truly phenomenal, man. I mean, these students are absolutely amazing. They're so clever. They're so intelligent, so creative. Yet they're so honest as well and so open about so many incredible podcasts and episodes and themes and stories. So whenever you get a second, please check that out. I'll leave a link below in the description. But the reason why I mention it also is today we're talking to a fantastic guest, Dr. Joe Taylor, who is a child and educational psychologist. And originally I planned to have his episode on Keep It 30, you know, to get a different perspective of someone that works with children in a different way. You know, someone who's a psychologist who might be able to tell us why certain things happen with children, why they might be acting in different ways and so much more. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep it on Hip Hop Orchestra Presents just for now. And if anything changes, I'll put it on there too. But just for now, I'm going to keep it on Hip Hop Orchestra Presents. And honestly, it's a brilliant episode. We talk about so many things about how and why become a psychologist, you know, what's involved, what he's learned so far, the ups and downs, how difficult it can be sometimes, and it gives really great advice as well. So please check this episode out as much as possible and hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did. I did as well and learned as much as I did as well. And before we go as well, don't forget to like, share, subscribe too, and peace. Today we're joined by another amazing guest today, child and educational psychologist, Dr. Joe Taylor. How are you doing, sir? You okay? Uh, I'm really good. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I've been watching Keep It Certainty grow and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure having you on. And thank you. I was saying before the podcast, thank you so much for sharing your amazing comments. It really means so much to me. Thank you. Yeah, it's all good. Um, I think that podcasting is a really cool space because it allows anyone with a, a camera and a mic to to share content and so you know it's a really powerful way of hearing lots of different voices so yeah I'm I'm here I'm here for it and, um, <laughs> and yeah you know I'm looking I'm looking forward to the conversation that we have today yeah me too Can I know that talk about conversation I know you did your own I think you did the sizzle podcast a little while back didn't you yeah, so the Sizzle podcast is, uh, I suppose, long form conversations. So mm. I get about about an hour, um, and I talk with all sorts of people and try and bring a psychological lens to it. Mm. Um, it's funny you mention it because we, it, it, you know, there have been no episodes released for a while, but I'm just 
finishing up a second series, which, uh, yeah, it feels very exciting. Oh, that's brilliant. How many Have you done many more episodes of the second season? It's just like literally just one or two just for now and then build up as you go along. Mm, so, <laughs> well, it, it all kind of evolved. So when I first started The Sizzle, I was releasing an episode a week mm. and that, you know, that felt really exciting. And then it became an episode a month. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I found that actually I want to rethink the format. And so the second series will be quite small. Um, so maybe five episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I really like the idea of having themes for the series moving forward. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to change my approach from kind of dropping episodes one by one to doing series with themes. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to to kind of seeing how it how it is received by everyone. That's brilliant. And what uh, what's your theme for the second season? Have you decided on the whole theme yet so far? <laughs> or you must have done. So I think <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, this is like an exclusive. Uh, it's an exclusive for Keep It Thirty. So um, <laughs> I I guess uh, it's the theme is going to be something around voices that need to be heard or things that we don't often talk about mm. so there there are some really amazing conversations um that explore topics like hope mm. things like the gypsy roma traveler communities mm. and the experience that they they have in england um teaching as a impossible profession um things that we might kind of encounter on a day-to-day but we don't we don't really talk about um so yeah it's uh it's similar to previous episodes in sizzle in the sense that there's a real range of guests and um and yeah it's uh yeah it's been such a delight kind of going back over the episodes and hearing and hearing those conversations again that's brilliant because I've been saying a lot actually on my podcast that it's like therapy in a way where you just talk about things like you just mentioned that about things that might, people might not always talk about all the time. I mean, even for yourself, like being a psychologist, do you feel that the same sort of way that you feel like you're getting things off your chest and you feel so much better for afterwards? Yeah, that's a really nice way to think about it. And um, I think I I maybe I maybe choose a to have a distinction between therapy mm. and something that's therapeutic. Mm. So therapy, I, I like to think of as, you know, somebody who's had training and they might be really skilled at dealing with people who are having really tough, tough times. Um, but I think that anything can be therapeutic, mm. you know? So if we, if we imagine like a walk in the park, or looking at a really pretty sunset, I, you know, I think that can be therapeutic. Um, if we think about what we're doing now, we're having a conversation and that is connecting. And that, that connection um, is a soothing process, you know, feeling like you're being heard by someone else, feeling like we can come to a joint understanding. That, that is something that I would describe as therapeutic. And you know, it's, it's interesting that you describe it like that because I think that sometimes we can overlook the power of these small everyday 
moments that can be therapeutic. Exactly, yeah. I mean, for, for yourself, because you must deal with so much in your in your work life, I mean, for yourself, what? how do you deal with kind of that overbearing workload or just dealing with like smaller moments? Like like you said, do you, go, do you go for walks? Do you read a book, listen to podcasts? Do you just have, just like, so even simpler than like having a cup of coffee in the morning or in the afternoon to, to deal with it? How do, you, how do someone like yourself deal with kind of that overbearing life or workload that you have to do? Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, there are a few different layers to it. So there's stuff that I that I can do alone. So um, I I like getting up early. Uh, and, and what that means is that I have time to do something for me before I start my day. Yeah. So, you know, I like to, I like to drink a coffee and to read that. That's something that when, you know, when I start my day and, and I'm talking to people or, you know, dealing with emails, I feel like I've already done something that's nourishing for me. Yeah. Uh, so that makes me feel, yeah, really like topped up before I start. Um, I'm also, I'm also a boxer. So oh, really? Oh, wow, God. I, I think um, that, that's something that is beneficial on so many levels. So, you know, the physical exertion, I find very therapeutic, but also we talked about the way that connection can be therapeutic and, you know, having people who you train with that you trust that, you know, you do difficult things together in, in terms of the training and, you know, sparring. It's, um, yeah, that's something that I find really nourishing as well. So like, those are kind of things that I can do alone or, or with other people, but there's also like making sure that I bring other people into the process. Mm. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about self-care you know and so I, I see newspaper articles or people tweeting about self-care and it's a really powerful idea right that we should be doing stuff to look after ourselves like I, I think that's a really good thing but I also recognize that sometimes there are days when it's hard to do and it, you know I can I can remember times when I know going for a run is something I love you know, I don't have to force myself to go for a run. I really enjoy it. I know I'll feel great after my run, but I've had a long day. Maybe I didn't plan my meals right and I feel a bit hungry and it's dark outside. And so I don't go for my run because I didn't have the resources to do what I needed to do in that moment. So I really like the idea of collective care or communal care, like having other people around you to be part of that process. And um, so I also think that when it comes to dealing with systems that involve high workload or intense emotions, that we also bring other people into the yeah into, into the practice of looking after ourselves. So you know, a, a, a specific example of that might be um, on a Wednesday. Mm. I would really love if you text me just to say i've got five minutes now if you want to tell me about your day so like suddenly it's not on me to reach out to you you're going to text me on that wednesday mm -hmm. or it might be 
okay, I know you like reading and I like reading. So on a Friday after work, can you send me a voice note of, you know, something about the book that you're reading at the moment? Because I'm going to find that really connecting. So, you know, it's really simple day-to-day stuff that you can do that has other people initiating or bringing you into stuff that you know is going to be uh, facilitating your well-being. I love that. And do you feel like you work best with a routine as well? Like, for instance, get up and say half, five or six, have that coffee, read and then go for a run and then come back and work? Or do you feel like you work best when every day is completely different to the next? Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's like a question of the moment for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm someone that has a routine yeah. and I get a lot out of it. So you, exactly as you said, you know, like if I'm having my coffee and I'm reading and I'm exercising and I'm making time for all the things that I know are good for me, then I feel great and I can, and I can be, you know, most helpful at work and uh, I can be the nicest partner or friend, all that stuff. But as I've started to get older, like maybe in the last five years, I've also wondered about like how to make space for being spontaneous mm-hmm. and ha- and the balance between like having the routine to make sure I do all the things that I enjoy and that are going to help me be like, you know, the best version of me versus having time to just be like, oh, cool, should we just go and do that thing that we just thought of that would be really nice? Yeah. And so I guess that's something that I'm trying to work on at the moment is how I can have just space to be a bit more flexible and and spontaneous and, and respond to my mood or what I feel like doing in the moment. I love that. Um, I, love I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that for yourself. Like, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear it. You know, your balance between routine and flexibility. You know, I'm pretty much exactly the same as you. Where I love a routine because I know with a routine I can I know exactly what I can do in that day, how much I can fit in. But at the same time, being spontaneous, I looked in a lot of those last minute things. Sometimes they become the best memories. So I think you know what sometimes break away from the work, go out and like you just said, like go and do that thing you've always been talking about or just do it because if you never know, uh, life is too short, just go enjoy yourself when you need to then come back and do work because I bet you're the same as well actually where you're so engrossed in your own work that you sometimes forget about life itself mm. and I love, I'm someone that's obsessed with work. I love to work, I love to learn, I love to talk to people, I just, I love to achieve as much as possible i'm quite a perfect or i'm not quite but i am a perfectionist so when i make sure that say i'm prepping for like a talk like this for instance or work that i study the person i get everything ready just in case and because i i hate leaving things to the last minute i hate doing that obviously things happen last minute all the time i'm lucky i'm experienced enough to deal with that now but i'd rather prep everything first and then go out but life is too short sometimes i think you know what Work can hold on for a minute. I want to go out now and see my friends, go and see my family and just enjoy it, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, you you reminded me of a Dave lyric, Mm-mm. which is um, nights I can't remember with people I can never forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I always smile when I when I hear that line just because it it really sums up 
you know, experiences that I've had, and you know, I'm sure lots of people have had, where you're like, I can't put my finger on exactly what we did, mm. but I just have a warm glow. And those moments are really hard to plan. You know, you just kind of have to stumble across them. And um, so, yeah, having that time to be responsive and flexible is, is something I'm working on to try and, yeah, have more of those moments, you know. Exactly. I mean, did you find it quite difficult to, like, to kind of change your outlook on life and do those moments that you won't forget, like Dave just said, or did it come relatively easy to you after, after a little while? I think it's it's an ongoing, yeah, I think the balance is something that's hard to achieve. So probably the last the last five years has been something I've been working on in terms of trying to not just be all about achievement and like, you know, being being the most helpful or producing the most output or you know, whatever it is. Um, and trying to instead be more in the moment and uh, just more just more present with who's in front of me. And I really, I guess what's hard for me is I am attracted to both of those ways of being. Mm-hmm. Like, I really love feeling like I'm banging stuff out and, you know, oh my gosh, I just did this other thing. And, oh, I had that conversation and I felt like I really helped. And I also love being with someone that I care about and just, you know, like just listening to them and, yeah. and not thinking about anything else. And it's really hard to do, to have both of those dialed up to like a hundred yeah. <laughs> in the same person. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's, it's something that I feel like I'm going to probably be constantly trying to rebalance. Mm, I love that. And at the same time, because something I'll ask everyone actually is how they've been coping during the whole lockdown situation over the last couple of years. I mean, for you, actually, how have you been? Have you been okay yourself personally? Yeah, that's a really, it's a really nice question to ask people. Um, And it's, yeah, it's it's something I suppose like on a health level, uh, most people I know have been all right you know and and that that's something i'm really glad about and i think you know we can't take that for granted i think something that helped in terms of mental health and just navigating the unknowns like like uh, the world of you know the world that was different was trying to create new routines and rituals so like you know, when you aren't traveling to work anymore or your work looks different or you can't do any of the things that used to bring you life and nourish you, then what? Yeah. And so, you know, I've got a memory of um, my partner. We we lived together. We've actually moved since then, but we lived in a, a small flat in... Uh, Tottenham North North London and uh, we created this routine that Friday mornings we'd go on this long walk down the canal and uh, and we buy a coffee and then we'd walk 
you know, it, like it, it probably took like two and a half hours <laughs> in total. <laughs> it was like the longest, the longest coffee ever. But um, but what what was important about it was it was us creating a thing that we did together in this new world, mm-hmm. and that that felt really nice. You know, even even though it was when you break it down to its parts, it's a it's a walk and a coffee. Um, but that yeah, that was like the first example of us trying to trying to create something out of that situation. So yeah, it 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 was a yeah, it was a it was a strange old time. But I think that that's something that was really yeah, really nice that came out of it because it was so different and so unexpected, and yet that kind of that kind of creativity and, and ritual, you know, it came about. Came about. What about you? How I mean, yeah. How was it all for you? Yeah, I was about to say actually. For a lot, for the most part, I've been actually all right. You know, like touch with things have been all right. I mean, there was a very had a bad incident at the start where I lost my granddad. Unfortunately, at the start of the whole pandemic, uh, which really broke my heart. I didn't even get to see him. Unfortunately, but that really affected me. Um, And I think because of that as well, and. Basically, the whole, the whole world went on shutdown. Basically, luckily, I was I was working as a teacher, so in two different schools, so that kept make my mind sane and focused on something as well. And it's just it changed my whole outlook on life as well. I mean, I still run the hip hop orchestra as we talk, actually, but at the same time, it kind of I kind of lost my love for doing that. If that makes sense, so it's basically changed my whole outlook on life. Like, what's important to me? What do I love now? What do I want to focus on? And this is um, a big reason why I came up with the idea of Keep It 30 in the first place, actually, because I started um, a, um, well, my first main podcast was called The Hip Hop Orchestra Present, which is like an extension of the, my orchestra. And I, I started that January of last year, actually, literally just before the pandemic hit. And I started that because obviously I adore the orchestra that I run, I, I adore it. I've lost a lot of love for it, unfortunately, recently because of the COVID, but um, I still obviously love it. But the reason why I started the podcast was to kind of share stories of behind the scenes moments of how I how I deal how I deal with the orchestra, what my roles are, what we all do, share behind the scenes moments, the ups and downs, because I love sharing stories. I love stories. I love stories. I love sharing them too. And I would, I, would, I would always get a lot of the same sort of questions, like, how did you start? Why did you start here? What would be some of your favourite moments? Blah, blah, blah. You know what? I'm going to start a podcast and to answer all your questions in one go. So, like, one episode will be, like, who I am and what I do. Second episode will be, like, some of the best moments and the up and down moments, things that you don't always know about because at the same time, you probably realise as well that uh, you, you're, you're an incredibly hard worker. I know that. And not everyone gets to see that what you have to do in order to get to being successful because looking at like some of the awards you've won, I mean, have been incredible. Like for instance, the um like recognized being recognized a Queen's young leader and the Winston Churchill thing, it's incredible. And I want to share um these sort of moments to the the wider audience. And when I seen I started it, it felt like that was my calling in life. Mm-hmm. Just talking to people and sharing stories. I thought this is my this is my my long lost um, calling in life, and I became in thought. I became obsessed with podcasting. I mean, I always loved stories anyway. Obsessed with stories beforehand, but the minute I started getting into it, 
and just talking to members of the orchestra family, to people I met along the way, sharing their stories as well, how they got to where they are in life, talking to like, Grammy-winning composers, to incredible people like yourself, to the most successful musicians in the world. Like, I became obsessed with that. Like, like story, that story-based conversation, I loved it. And I thought, you know what? From I've listened to a million different podcasts, but I realized no one was actually doing one for schools or talking to the youth or young people about what they're going through. Because I know that you were a teacher for a couple of years yourself, actually, and obviously me being a teacher as well for many years. I would always take the time in my lessons, whether it's one-to-one or whole class, to see how the kids were, whether that's pre-pandemic or during pandemic. I would always take the time to see how the kids were. And I realized that would always help the kids dramatically because I know from my personal experience, I hate, as much as I love education, I'm obsessed with education, I love to read, I love to listen to podcasts and learn as much as possible. I hated school. I mean, I hated it because I'm, I'm dyspraxic. So I find many things very difficult, whether that's like social skills or organisational skills or whatever it might be, I find a lot of things very, very difficult. But when I started doing podcasts, it dawned on me that I used my dyspraxia as an advantage, like my superpower, because it taught me to be a great listener. It taught me how to give great advice when people ask me. And I didn't realise that these were all great feats when you're constant podcast, you're a great to be a great podcaster, I feel, is to be a great listener, obviously. Know when to kind of jump in and, and talk. Not interrupting every couple of seconds, I feel. But just not, like, obviously t- doing your research on people as well and just making them feel as comfortable as possible. And I feel as, through my dyspraxia, that I learned all of these traits throughout my whole life. And like I was saying earlier, I feel like podcasting was my calling alive. And I want to create this mm-hmm. amazing world of content to show up both adults and kids have their own problems. Let's talk about, let's talk it out now and let's see if we can help each other out. And I've done like a few episodes now with the kids that's at a school that I work at, shout out to the pavilion again, by the way, who they're there preschool actually, you might know them. Uh, it's a school where they've, where they've um, secondary school kids where they've been expelled from mainstream schools. And on the front of yeah, a lot of people might think that, oh, they're, they're expelled, they're like, they're really bad kids or they got this um, preconception about them. Well, in fact, when you sit and talk with them, they're the most amazing kids. I mean, they're so creative, so passionate, and they're so clever, and they just need someone like us just to sit down and chat with them and to listen to them. And so each week we go down there with a different subject, whether it's like like the effects of social media or knife crime or the effects of things like drill music or like counterculture and get their feedback on different things. Like, what do you guys feel about this kind of stuff? Is it affecting you uh, both physically and mentally? And, da, da, da. and like, for instance, when we'll talk about social media, like they call it this at an age where they're seeing things on social media thinking, oh, I should get Botox now, I should get surgery now, I should get this. And I'm talking to thinking, how does that make you feel and why? And da, da, da. And, once you just sit back, once you ask a question like that and you just sit back, it gets the ball rolling. And they're so amazing with what they come out thinking, my God, they're so clever. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely love it. I think, you know what, I'm onto a winner here. And I just want yeah. to help as many kids as possible now, like just to help with them and guide them if I can and educate them as much as possible. And 
guide them into a career that I know that they were amazing at. So that's why I started doing it. It's just been the best thing ever. So I've done over 100 episodes on Hip Hop Hawkers Presents podcast. And this will be, I think, episode eight-ish, I think. It's like kind of pre or post Christmas. I'm not sure when it will come out exactly, but... Um, it's just been my, my calling in life. I've, I've literally lost yeah. everything I'm in it now. And I left my teaching job in July of this year, 2021, to focus on this, actually. And it's been one of the best decisions I've made. I mean, I've, I, I adore teaching. Um, but it's just, I felt like sometimes school life, whether you're both a teacher and a student, it kind of compresses the way you kind of work, the way, the way you learn and the way you, and the way you teach as well, because... Obviously, as we all know, everyone learns in a different way. Um, so as a teacher, you've got, you've got to look. Me, me what, what I realise is a good teacher is someone that can notice that and teach in a way that the student learned, get them excited to learn, and read to that extra time just to find how they learn, see how they are, and teach them in a way that they all really love it. And I realised that because of my way of teaching, it's very modern, it's very fun, it's very exciting. I get the kids really hyped up and wanting to learn. Well, schools didn't always appreciate that. You're like, you must teach this way or you're not a good teacher. I think, what the hell are you talking about? The kids mm. are loving it and they're doing so well with me. What's wrong with my way of teaching? It's like telling Ronaldo, who scores like 100 goals, yeah, you're, you're a crap footballer, by the way, because you didn't score my way. Like, are you, it's, it's like, Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's I suppose it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a, a tricky one isn't it when you have a clash of culture between mm. how a teacher wants to teach and how a school imagines learning to to be yeah. And, um, and yeah it's uh it's something that i say to or i find myself talking about with lots of teachers that there there might be a school out there for you mm. you know and um it's really it really strikes like i'm lucky enough to go into lots of different schools and it really strikes me how different they all are you know they've all got different personalities and different histories and yeah it can be really hard when the school has got a vision of how they want to teach and yeah. and a teacher's individual vision of how they want to teach doesn't uh, match up with that yeah and um yeah I hear, I hear you on that and I was really struck by what you're talking about in terms of the power of stories mm. and you know i'm really i'm really just imagining how it might be for someone listening to keep it 30 and hearing from students on topics mm. and that person that's listening might have never heard anyone talk about that topic before yeah. or they might not have talked to someone of that age since they were last that age. That's what you I know, mean. Because I mean, to me, it's such an obvious thing to do. Like, I feel I'm, I'm 33 now, so I like to feel like I'm at an age where I'm still young enough to talk to kids on their level, but at the same time, I'm experienced enough to think, okay, I was your age that many years ago. So I know what that life is like, and you should do it. And this is how I would do things, and let's get your feedback on different subjects. And that's why I'm so appreciative of, of people like yourself who share on like social media thinking, this is exactly what we need now. This such amazing kid. Let's, 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 let's just listen to them now and 
get their feedback and think and see how we can help them so much. And it's, I've, like I said, like a million times already, I feel like it's my calling in life just to go in there and talk to kids and hopefully inspire them as much as possible. I've, I've loved everything on me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I often leave a school having met with some teachers, uh, met with some people who are in a family, met with a child or a young person. And I often leave having learned something, yeah. you know, and it's really, I find it really interesting taking the points of view of, for example, a child, you know, somebody, let's say six or seven years old and taking their perspective of the world and kind of putting it into my framework of how I see the world. And it's really yeah, it's always really striking to me how much wisdom there can be in the perspective of a child. So they might not have lots of no important knowledge about the world that we would like them to have, but they can sometimes cut straight to the centre yeah. of an issue. Like, why don't you just say this? But you're like, <laughs> yeah, why don't I just say that? Because <laughs> that's what I love about kids. It's like, they're just so straight to the point with things like, you don't like beat around the bush. Like, I think you'd like you to say, like, why do you say it this way or do that? Like, okay. That's really, I love, I, I just love that brutal honesty of kids. Like, they don't beat around the bush, just straight to the point. I mean, you said a great point there about kids teaching us so much. I mean, now I was going to ask if they taught you so much in your job, actually. They must have taught you so much. Do you know what? Like, what, one of the cliche lines that psychologists always say to each other is you've got to you've got to adopt a stance of curiosity mm. and and what they mean by that is like let's not judge people um let's let's try and understand their point of view of the world and let's try and center that in 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 the work right so you know i might i meet someone who's totally different from me and my aim is to try and understand not my view of them, mm. but their view of the situation mm. and to try and put it through as little of a filter from me as possible. So like, let me understand how you view school and how you view your family. And then, let, and then that's a great foundation for us to, to try and create a plan together about how to try and make things better. And the reason I always laugh when psychologists talk about curiosity is that we have all these tools and tricks and techniques to try and avoid bias or avoid becoming cynical or judgment and to remain truly curious about a situation. And that's something that is so effortless to children. Mm. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> almost, it's almost like the older you get, the more effort it takes because if you think about a baby mm. they they are so they cannot not be curious they're just amazed by the fact that they've got a foot and they're like holding their foot and they're moving yeah. it and it's like the best thing ever and then they're amazed by the fact that you rustled something on the table and they want to know can you do it you do it again they're like wow you just rustled it again yeah and um and yeah that that curiosity is something that when i see it i i 
take it as a reminder that for some people it's just really easy to access that way of being and um yeah that's one thing that i i feel like i'm always being reminded of by children is just stay curious and i think i'm trying to think of other i'm trying to think of other things that i've been taught by children but i mean something that comes to mind is quite often people will tell you what they need if you ask them mm. and that's something that i find quite humbling but also really useful so you know quite regularly there'll be a situation where i'll talk to the adults and you know that might be school staff it might be a social worker it might be the family it might be um another professional and they all feel really stuck they're like we don't know how to improve this situation and then i talk to a child or a young person and i'm not saying i'm not saying this happens every time that they just give me the answer <laughs> but um, but quite i've got you know a few really strong memories of spending a few hours talking to a child or young person and being like they not they they've literally told me what they need and what they're finding difficult. Yeah. And, and then you feed it back to the adults in the situation. They're like, wow, they just, they just told you that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah did you not ask? You know, and, and that's not, I don't mean that in like a, um, like a patronizing way, but sometimes adults care so much. They don't do the obvious thing, which is just to ask the child or the young person. And, um, yeah, that's a really, I think that for me is like a powerful lesson that sometimes, you know, you're trying to do all the complicated stuff and actually you just need to ask, you just need to genuinely ask the person, oh, yeah. Yeah. like, what, what's up and what do you need? Yeah, exactly. That. You kind of pretty much ask my next question, actually, because I've always been kind of curious as to why we as adults kind of lose that honesty and curiosity as we get older. I mean... Is it through life, like life experiences, or we become, I'm kind of not sure how to ask it, but why do you feel, through your experience as a psychologist, that, as you said, like kids are so curious and so honest, but the older we get, we lose both of these things, which I, th which I think are so crucial in life. Like, we should never yeah. lose creativity. We should never lose that curiosity or honesty. I mean, why do we kind of lose these big traits as we get older, do you feel? Mm. So I think, you know, first off, everyone's everyone's different. So some people do stay curious. Yeah. But if I if I think about the the developmental stages of someone's life, you know, when when we're born, we can't walk, we can't talk, and we're just absorbing all this information from the world around us and from what other people are doing, and so. I, I kind of frame that as like maximum curiosity. Mm. Like I need my survival depends on this curiosity because if I'm not paying attention to everything around me, I don't know the adults to trust. I don't know, um, you know, when this discomfort goes away. And it happened to be that, you know, when I cried out this discomfort, left me and then I realized oh I cried out and this adult did something and then the discomfort left me 
Mm. And then you you start to piece more and more of the world into a framework. And as you get older, you become more skilled at like in psychology, we call it higher order thinking, but you know, stuff like problem solving and uh, metacognition. So thinking about your own thinking process. So, hmm, what did I do that worked really well then? And ah, um, maybe I could try this other tactic, which I used previously in a similar situation. And, you know, these kind of really complicated thought processes become more accessible to us, um, you know, in our late teens or early 20s. And so the more we get better at that kind of stuff, the more we can rely on automated ways of thinking. So mm. I've seen the situation before and generally speaking, this kind of thing happens and this kind of thing is useful and this kind of response is the most efficient. So we kind of operate using these, these uh, time-saving techniques because if you think about all the things we have to navigate as adults, we can't take the time to really ponder and be curious about every single little decision. And so we spend a lot of our time on autopilot. Mm. Like, okay, I got an email similar to that last week and I replied a little bit like this and it kind of seemed to work. Um, I bumped into someone in the street and they kind of asked me this thing and I responded in this way and it kind of seemed to work. So as we get more skilled at analyzing the situation around us and, and responding in an automatic way or like the most efficient way, I think we can become less in the moment. And that that detachment from the present means that it's harder to be curious. That's mm -hmm. kind of like a bit of my understanding of, of child development mixed in with my kind of uh, rough thoughts on, um, on being in the moment and like heuristics. So these kind of use of rules of best fit as a time-saving device. Mm, I love that. And I know I have to go see because I won't give you much longer. I've got a million more questions, but I want to actually find out actually what got you actually curious into becoming a child and educational psychologist yourself. What drew you into that world? Yeah, that's a really, I like that question. So, I mean, the, the first thing is my mum has to get the shout out. So, mm. um, you can probably see behind me the bookcase. I can, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of those books uh, used to belong to my mum, so I inherited them from her. And um, my mum started out her life as a midwife, and then trained to be a psychotherapist. And you know that was that was in a time when uni was free, <laughs> and like you got you got paid to to go you know and uh, you've got like a little bursary so yeah my mom was lucky enough to do that and so I was raised with these ideas like as a as a child so you know I'd be like in primary school talking about Freud and stuff like that and like I'm genuinely was really lucky to have those ideas around at that time and then I went to university and I studied psychology and I Felt like I learned just enough to be really critical about what my mum used to, to kind of discuss with me. 
and uh, and like props to her as well because yeah. <laughs> she she didn't she didn't she didn't she, like she didn't school me when she could have done and yeah. she just she heard me out she was like okay <laughs> you know <laughs> these are your views now and um and then I trained to be a teacher and and I I forgot all about psychology um and I think that if I'd have stayed at being a teacher for longer I probably would have come back around to it but I was so in the moment of trying to learn how to be a good teacher. I interestingly put psychology to one side, even though we could argue it's a really important tool. But anyway, that was me at the time I did. And um, then I, I left the classroom almost by accident uh, because my, my appendix burst. So I like oh. basically found myself out of contract at the school I was working at. And but at the same time, I uh, was working on a few ideas of, of social and kind of social entrepreneurial ideas that I thought could help education and uh, got some funding. And that was like, wow, it's amazing. I think this could be really helpful when I've got the money. And um, I was working with a, a good friend of mine at the time. And it, it just seemed like this is a really great thing to do. And actually... After a couple of years, we were both not quite sure that what we were working on was actually that helpful. Mm. And so I applied to train as an educational psychologist. And at that point, I honestly applied like on a whim. I, I thought, oh, this could be cool. And in the end, um, I, got an, I got offered an interview by one of the universities. And that happened just as I, uh, I got some more funding for this idea I was working with my friend. So I emailed them really politely, like, listen, you've really honored me with this interview, but I got some funding and I feel like I have to commit to this thing. And um, I, found, I found over the next year, I regretted it. I really regretted it. And there was something about what I imagined the experience to be that I was missing. And so I, yeah, applied, applied again and was, was lucky enough to get a place. And it was the best decision I've made because it's this perfect combination of being applicable. So taking lots of theory and lots of useful practice and using it with children and families and organizations. And there's all of that piece, which I love, but there's also this research piece and the fact that I have to stay up to date with theory and I really, I really love that component of it as well. And so it, it's this really wonderful mix of lots of things that I think are really useful, but also really enjoy. Mm. And um, one last thing on that, though, is it's funny because when I was a teacher, I didn't actually know anything about child and educational psychologists. I don't even know if I knew they existed. And so I think that it's, really important to talk about the role because you know I studied psychology at university and didn't know that was a possible thing I could have done and so yeah whenever I get the chance to talk about it publicly I always say you know please if you're interested in children you're interested in psychology um look it up because it, it can be a really amazing way of of contributing and and it can be really interesting and fulfilling as well. Yeah. 
And that is the most perfect way to end the podcast. <laughs> a million questions, but I would love to finish on like a very positive inspirational message. And before we go, I want to say thank you so much for everything with, with, with the work you do and taking time to be part of the podcast. It really means a lot. So thank you so much for that and for everything, Joe. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for your time. And yeah, I really was struck by the way that you described the importance of stories. Mm. And so that that's why podcasts like Keep It Certy are so important is because they allow people really easily the chance to interact with stories that might be really different from their life. Exactly. And I think that that's a really powerful, powerful tool. So yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you. And one more thing, actually, how can people find you online just in case? Yes. So you can go to my website, which is www.drjoetaylor.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. This is where I'm most active, um, which is at JGE Taylor. So I'm sure you can link to that in the description. But um, if you've got questions about psychology or you are interested in becoming an educational psychologist or you're interested in working with an educational psychologist then yeah get in touch and i might be able to help brilliant thank you so much and that's the end of the episode everyone take care bye-bye